you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to continue through the book of Acts, and we're doing the entire chapter today, which is light speed, I know. Is everyone awake this morning? All right, good. We're going to be reading, well, no, we're not, that's leaning out with an untruth there. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 27, but we're going to concentrate on 22 through 27, so I'm going to summarize verses 1 through 21 for you. Paul is in Caesarea. He was brought there by a Roman escort of nearly 470 soldiers. He arrives there and he's put into kind of a house arrest in the palace where Felix, who is the governor of Caesarea, um, will hear his case. And so he's waiting for the elders of the Sanhedrin to arrive 50-some miles away to give their case against Paul. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 1. And so verses 1 through 10 is the Sanhedrin and the elders and the, the chief priests uh, giving their case against Paul and why he needs to be removed. And then verses 10 through 21, Paul has an opportunity to say what they say is not true, and this is just a theological disagreement, not, not one bound by Roman law. So if I could, verses 1 through 10 and 10 through 21, those first 21 verses can be summarized by, uh-huh, uh-uh. All right, there's your summary. And now we're going to pick up in verse 22. And now Felix, he's the one in charge of the providence from where Paul comes from, so he has to hear the case. Having a more exact knowledge about the way, i.e. Christianity, put them off and said, when, when Lysus, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion to have Paul kept in custody and yet let him have some freedom and don't prevent any of his friends from ministering to him coming in and out of the palace. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was Jewish, a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about his faith in Jesus Christ. But, he was, but as he was discussing, that is Paul, righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix became frightened and he said, you know, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Go away for now. And when, when I find time, I'll talk to you again. At the same time, Felix was hoping to get bribed. He was hoping to get some money out of this. In fact, he was hoping Paul would give him a bribe in order to attain his freedom. Uh, and so, uh, verse 26, he was hoping to get some money that would be given to him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for him quite often and converse with Paul quite a bit because he was hoping to give Paul enough opportunities to understand what's going to free you from my rule is, what's the answer, church? Money, the universal language of love. But after two years passed, I mean, Paul's a stubborn guy, isn't he? How many here would just cut the check? Anyone at all? For God's glory? After two years have passed, Felix was succeeded by Festus. What comes to mind when you hear the word Festus? Anyone? Gunsmoke and Kitty and I've gone too far. In wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix kept Paul in prison. We're going to open in a word of prayer. But before we open in a word of prayer, I want you to open in prayer. I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads and pray. And I'm 
just going to ask you to pray about a few things. It'll be brief. Spend the next 10 seconds telling how much you love God. Talk to him. How good he is. Tell God how good he is to you. Even in your valley. Thank God for the gospel. Thank him for his salvation. And now, church, ask the Lord to speak to you today through his word. Ask him to speak to you. And I want you to push that envelope a little bit further. Ask that the Holy Spirit would challenge you. Ask that the Holy Spirit would convict you, chase you, Ask the Lord to place your heart under conviction so that you might know what the joy of salvation is like. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. Thankful for your word. Lord, I pray that your word would be our message this morning. That your truth Your inspired truth would be what not only dictates our life, but guides and brings us joy. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning. I confess my sins in front of these people. They're more than I can remember, Lord. I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your joy. I thank you for your love and your peace and your patience. I thank you that you never leave and you never forsake. But Lord, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction to our hearts. Crush us under the delight of your word. Father, help me to remember my studies. I pray that I would not be a distraction to them. Father, we love you and we ask this in your son's precious and holy name. And if you're awake this morning, say something. All right. (laughs) Visitors are like, this place is nuts. I want to do things a little bit differently now that you've asked the Lord to speak to your heart and to mine. I want to do things a little bit differently this morning. We are going to focus our attention on verses 22 through 27. Tonight, when we break this passage apart a little bit more in the evening, we'll be in the exact same passage, but we'll dig a little bit deeper in that. What I want to do right now is I just want to tell you a story. I just want to tell you a story, a story that is absolutely true, by the way. None of it is made up. A story, by the way, has everything to do with the text that we are about to read. In fact, without knowing this story, without knowing this backstory that we are about to, to, to hear, the text that we read this morning will remain unbelievably shallow in our ears and have no application to our hearts. 
So I want to start out with a question before I go into the story. There was a cultural phenomenon in the 1990s where a show came out and it became so popular for all the wrong reasons that it even outranked the Oprah Winfrey show. I know, you can't even bear the thought. Some of us are like, who's Oprah? Now, what show in the 90s became so popular that, that it became a cultural phenomenon? Anyone at all? Anyone else? A talk show. Jerry Springer show. Now, here's my question for you. Do not go and watch the Jerry Springer show, all right? That's not what I... But when you hear those words, those of you who are old enough to understand what the Jerry Springer show, what are some words that come to your mind to describe that show? Talk to me. What are some words? Okay, stop, 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 stop. Jerry, Jerry. Gross. Trashy. Fighting. Did you say atrocious? Atrocious. Lowest common denominator. Any other words? Sad. Evil. Just, how do you really feel about that? Just plain trash. I am about to tell you about the first Jerry Springer episode in the Word of God. And it's just plain trash. But without seeing this and hearing this, none of this will have the weight it needs to have. So let's put this verse up here. We're going to kind of transition. There's so much. We could spend the whole hour right here. How many want to spend the whole hour in these words? Anyone at all? Some of you are like, mercy, no. All right, here we go. Now, some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was Jewish. How many here go, you know what? I feel my heart already being convicted right now. The word of God is, here it is. True story, every detail. Once upon the time, there was a boy named Felix, who, by the way, had a brother named Pallas. Both little boys, by the way, were slaves in the Roman Empire. Their master's name was a woman, by the way, by the name of Antonia. Now, Antonia had a small son herself by the name Claudius. In fact, his name was Prince Claudius, who will one day become Caesar. Now, with all that in mind, Felix and Pallas were owned by Claudius' mother. Now, Pallas and Claudius became good friends. After all, they were similar in age, and they spent a great deal of time playing together in the fields and doing what they did as little boys. And as time went by, eventually, as the years passed by, Prince Claudius became Caesar of Rome. And he decided that he would free his friend, one of his best friends, Pallas, from slavery. And when he did so, he also had mercy on Felix, Pallas' brother, at the same time. How many here are following so far? All right. As time went by, Pallas, who was close friends with Caesar Claudius, rose through the ranks of the Roman Empire and became the chief accountant of the public treasury of Rome. Now, because of that, he amassed enormous amounts of wealth. Pallas used his money and relationship, by the way, to persuade his good friend Caesar to make his brother Felix the governor of Judea. Now, this 
is interesting here, which, which was found in Caesarea, where we are right now in the text with Paul. And in doing so, Felix became the first slave in the history of Rome to go from slavery to being a ruler or a governor over a land. The first one ever to do that. Felix quickly adapted to his newfound power, and he took everything that he wanted for himself, especially, after all, he knew a life that had nothing, including, by the way, people. In fact, things went so well for him that his first wife was the granddaughter of the world-famous Cleopatra. Not bad for a former slave. And then, by the way, he took another wife, and life was pretty good. Then one day, a Syrian delegation was around and Felix noticed a 16-year-old beauty by the name of Drusilla. Now, there's one major problem with that. Drusilla is already married to the king of Syria. At age 14, I got to stick to my notes here. I'm going to mess them up back there. Drusilla was already married at the age, she was 14. I got to stay to my notes because I really want to color commentate, but I can't. She married the king when she was 14 years old. And two years later, she finds herself meeting Felix, who, by the way, does not know how to say no to himself. Drusilla was famously known for her beauty. Another way to say this is that Drusilla, when when men saw her, they thought she was absolutely, you want to give some words? Don't! Amazing, all right? She was alluring, By the way, a dangerous combination when you add the fact that Drusilla came from a family who had absolutely no morals. Here's where the Jerry Springer show begins to roll in here. She comes from a family of absolutely no morals. Her family was no stranger to unbridled passions. After all, Drusilla was the sister of Agrippa and Bernice, who were brother and sisters. You'll find that in Acts chapter 25, verse 13. And the three of them there were brother and sisters. And by the way, his brother and sister by the name of Agrippa and Bernice were living openly in an incestuous sexual relationship. In fact, someone used the word gross when we talked. Do you see the show up there? It gets better or worse, depending on your view. But Felix saw Drusilla and man, oh man, it was lust at first sight. They immediately and soon became lovers, and Felix used his power to, to get a cryptic magician to help finagle and plot to get her away from her husband. And at 16 years of age, Drusilla became Felix's third wife. But unlike Felix, who was a pagan Gentile, Drusilla had been raised as a Jew, but was no longer active in her faith, clearly. Drusilla was beautiful and ambitious. And by the way, she knew how to work it. Are you following me? She knew how to use her beauty and her looks to advance her situation. Felix is a powerful former slave, and together these unbridled hedonists formed a power couple that would stop at nothing to get what they want. Jerry Springer could have only hoped to have booked this couple on his show. Now, I want you to take everything that you see here, everything that you see here in the show, all these details, and I want you to dump it into the text and see how knowing this backstory will change and help us understand everything that follows us. Now, how many here will say historical background can be fun? Amen? 
Now, with this in mind, we can only now begin to understand why Paul talked the way he talked. So we'll now approach it for its application. Now, it says this. Some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was Jewish. Now we read those words, and there's so much more behind it, is there not? This context in which we will read Paul's words to them is all baked into that. Apparently, after Felix put Paul under palace arrest, he and his third wife, Drusilla, went away for a few days, went on a trip, whatever the case may be, and then eventually they came back home. We see this in the text here, all right? Now, as you see Felix and Drusilla sit down in the palace, I want you to take a good look at Drusilla for a moment. She is only 19 years of age when she sits down to talk with Paul right now in this text. Now, the interesting thing here is that they sent for Paul and heard him speak about the faith in Jesus Christ. That's important. We'll get to that in a moment. This power couple wanted to be educated in the new sect that is called Christianity that is being birthed out of Jerusalem and into Asia. They wanted to be educated in this new sect of Christianity. Maybe it was to increase their power couple standing in the elite community, to be able to have informed conversations, maybe even name drop with their friends on how they know all this stuff about Christianity because they have sit down conversations with the world famous Apostle Paul. We would call this name dropping today. You ever have, how many here have ever been around someone who likes to name drop? I have a friend in, okay, in a different state. I've got to be careful because we're online now. I have a friend in a different state who we went to go visit them and we sat down with, with one of their relatives and like, oh, I'm sorry, I was late. I was, I was having breakfast. And I'm like, oh, okay, with Justin Timberlake. And I'm like, oh, brother, all right. We were able to raise $3 million to, to save the, the whales in the Pacific Ocean. I'm like, I'll take one of that, and I will dedicate my life to whales, all right? I'm joking. But the name dropping just kept going. Maybe, maybe you had dinner with Bill and Melinda Gates. And oh yeah, by the way, my, my son cleaned the garage of Joe Biden. <laughs> now to be fair, to be fair... My daughter dusted the office of Mike Pence. But name dropping. Maybe they were genuinely genuinely interested in what Paul had to say, especially since Drusilla, her ethnicity and her background was what church? What was it? Jewish. Maybe they were genuinely interested in what Paul was talking about. After all, he's talking about the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy in the person of Jesus Christ. Either way, what they wanted was a private audience with Paul. So what will Paul tell them? Will he tailor his message? Maybe if he tailors the gospel in such a way as to not offend them, he can can obscure his release. Maybe if he just edits a little bit and puffs them up, he can get away. Maybe make the gospel, here it is, user-friendly. And by user-friendly, what I mean is easy and requires no thinking and, and no commitment. Maybe just stick to the popular parts of the gospel and skip the tough parts. Can you see Paul walking down the corridors of the palace in Caesarea? 
Can you see him walking down the courtyard as he's on his way to meet this couple? Can you see him greet this 19-year-old beauty that men would lie, steal, and kill for? And by the way, have? Do you see the former slave Felix biting his, his lip as he thinks about how Paul could increase his social standing and brand in the community? And they sit down with Paul, and Paul begins to talk to them. Now, I want to pause for just a moment because I want to, before I go any further, to highlight a couple words here because they are vitally important. I've asked you to pray about it already, all right? It says here, he was discussing. It's in a dark blue. You can barely see it, but there it is. Now, this is an important word here. It means to reason with someone. Paul does not bypass their minds with fun stories and antidotes. He does not pass their minds with stories and, by the way, appeals of emotion. He did not soft-serve the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a question, Grand Rapids. Have we in this community with a church on every corner who fights for market share attendance ever soft-served the gospel in order to get butts in the pews rather than souls in heaven? What's the answer? Of course we have. What can we do to get you here? Oh, you should see the emails I get weekly from those who are looking for churches. And they literally say, we're looking for a new church and this is what's important to us. And there's like a list of five things. None of them are about Jesus. You want me to read you one right now? No, we're going to move forward, all right? He didn't soft serve the gospel. He reasoned with their minds. He asked them to think. Church, I want you to think right now. Visitor, attender, guest, I don't know who you are. I want you to think right now. Muse yourself. Not amuse, which means not to think. Amusement park. But muse. Think through what we are about to see and hear here. He reasons with their minds. He asks them to think. He wanted to convict their conscience. My friends, I want you to hear this. If we try to present the gospel to the emotions of men and women by skipping their minds, what we will produce is shallow, flimsy confessions that fade the moment the emotions fade. It is only through the renewing of the mind that our hearts are transformed. Amen? Amen. Oh, let us, let us engage with the word for generations. We have offered our children emotional appeals to escape hell. For generations, we have have offered our children emotional appeals to escape hell. And all it has done is produce shallow, empty decisions for Christ that fade away the moment mom and dad are not there to, to enforce it. The gospel we present should not only be, I'm sorry, the gospel we present should not be one that simply calls for an escape from hell, but a call to know and to love Jesus Christ with all of our hearts, and here it is, with all of our minds. Amen? Now, now that we know that Paul will not be skipping their minds through the word discussing there to reason with them, Now that we know he's not going to skip their minds, look what Paul brings up. Now, as we get there, do you see this couple coming? Do you see this 19-year-old beauty and this former slave now governor coming down the hall? Do you see their past? Do you see their story? 
Do, they, do you see their present life? Do you see everything that we, we went through with that show? I want you to grab that because this is too good. Paul sits down with them. Now remember the story of their lives. And he talks about, here it is, righteousness, self-control, and judgment. Here's what I want to say. Is Paul out of his mind? Now when you see the word righteousness, I want you to see the word morality. Who's he talking to? An immoral man and woman. Self-control. And judgment to come. How in the world is Paul going to win friends and influence enemies and just fit into the culture? How in the world is he going to do that? This is the last message that this illicit hedonistic couple wants to hear. Are we any different? Do we come to church and say, sing into my ears that I may avoid all conviction? These three things are the opposite of everything they value, everything who they are. And what do these subjects have to do with the gospel, by the way? What do these subjects have to do with the gospel? Is not the gospel just simply believe in Jesus and you are saved from hell and then you can go and live your life the way you want? Is that not the gospel? Oh, hear me, church. This may be the gospel of Grand Rapids, but it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let us remember these three subjects are under the umbrella of faith in Jesus Christ. These subjects are under that. Allow me to just get to the point. Here it is. Genuine faith in Christ will radically change your life. Genuine faith in Jesus Christ will radically change your life. It will change your allegiances. It will change your behavior. And this is the couple he's talking to. And he says, listen, if you genuinely, 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 there it is, believe in Christ, your life will radically change. You will be self-controlled. You will be moral in order to escape the judgment that is to come. The word righteousness here. Those who have genuine faith in Jesus Christ will see a change in their personal morality. They will see a change in their personal morality because the flesh is no longer their God. Christ is. Christians have a call on their hearts upon salvation to pursue the holiness of God. We find that in 1 Peter 1.16, I'm, I'm going to be blunt here. In fact, I need to call for a vote here. We are a Baptist church. All those willing to be listened to listen, and me too, but all those in favor of allowing me to say something blunt in a culture that no longer cares, and you give me permission, signify by saying amen. amen. Yes! <laughs> Preach it, sister! Well, this could be applied to stealing. This could be applied to lying. This could be applied to deceiving. It could be applied to all sin. Let me stick to the context of what Paul is talking about with this couple. Remember their history. My friend, if you sit and worship Jesus on Sunday, calling on his name, and you lay down with your date on Friday, and your conscience is untouched, 
If you do not mourn over your immorality, if, you're, if you sense no call or pursuit of holiness in your life, here it is. You do not know Jesus Christ and His Spirit is not in you. You think for a moment the Holy Spirit would tolerate habitual embracement of such behavior. The Holy Spirit is not looking for a place to stay. He is looking for a place to remodel and renovate. Amen? To be a new creation in Jesus Christ. For those who are in Christ we will be transformed into a new creation. Here it is, because true salvation will produce, in this couple, self-control. Now this word self-control is talking about pleasures and passions and ungodly ways. 1 Corinthians 7, 9, Titus 1, 8, 2 Peter 1, 6, and tons of other scriptures that we have erased from the word of God in order to create a more palatable gospel. That upon receiving the Holy Spirit in our lives at salvation, he will bring the spirit of self-control and self-discipline. Now I know this goes against the gospel of Grand Rapids in every way, shape, and form. And really, it goes against the gospel that we have here in our nation. For we have been selling fire insurance that does not require our hearts and called it salvation. I'm going to say something that you can easily parse and argue with me, but what I want you to hear is is what I mean by what I'm about to say, and it is this. Asking Jesus in your heart is not salvation. Giving Jesus your heart is salvation. And when one gives their heart to Jesus through repentance and faith, That true gospel will produce righteousness, morality, self-control. It will change everything. Now, some of us may resent this. Some of us may reel at this. Some of us who prayed for conviction are already pushing it away because it is not the elixir we were sold as a child. In love, your argument is not with me. It is with God. In fact, here's a neat little story. Paul wrote the summary of what he said to this couple in Galatians chapter 5. We get a little insight to his conversation over the two years. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. (laughs) That's, That's Acts 24, 22 through 27. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. Look at that couple. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Do you see Acts 24 here? Indecent behavior, Jerry Springer show, idolatry, witchcraft. He got a magician to help lure her away. Hostility, strife, jealousy. He had two wives and he was one of the other man's. Outbursts, anger, selfish ambition. (laughs) This, This might as well just say, don't be like Felix and Drusilla. Dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing. And by the way, if I've missed anything, things like this. Salvation will fundamentally transform who you are. Amen, church? It changes who you are. It doesn't preserve the old man. Of which I warn you, 
For those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me translate this from Greek, present active continuous tense. Those who habitually embrace without mourning and repenting and have no problem with these things do not belong to God. Oh, but the fruit of the Spirit renovates. And all the stuff progressively gets replaced with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Look at this one. It's in the green. Read it to me. What's it say? From what? That stuff! Now those who belong to Christ Jesus die to their selfish desires and its passions and they cling to Him. Let me save us all a lot of time here. Paul says to this Jerry Springer couple, repentance is not only necessary for salvation, it is the proof of salvation. Let me say that again. Repentance, which means turning away from sin and towards God, is not only necessary for salvation, it is the proof of salvation. And let me tell you here today, my dear friends, of whom I love, I will tell you, and I will say it to myself as well, because I need this message as much as anyone, if not more, to say that we belong in Jesus and habitually and eagerly embrace sin is to lie. And not only is the truth not in us, 1 John, but neither is salvation. True salvation births out a new creation. It does not preserve the old one. And then Paul tells them one final truth here under salvation. He says, if you don't fundamentally repent from the way you live your life, from your immorality and place your faith in Jesus Christ, because is that not the umbrella of this conversation? Then you will not escape the eternal judgment that is to come. Now let me be clear here. It is not in doing these things that you are saved. You can't earn, work, or produce salvation on your best day. Amen, church? We are dead in our sins. We can't earn nothing. It is Him. It's grace. It's His mercy. It's through faith alone. And by the way, that faith, you're so dead, He has to give you the faith to respond. Do you think a faith that God has to give someone in order to respond remains dormant? Powerless? The gospel is the power of God to salvation. So let me be clear. It is not in becoming moral and doing all these good things that you are saved. It's not. But... Here's the point, that in true salvation, the Holy Spirit will progressively produce these things in your life. We cannot soft-serve the truth of the gospel. Preaching the gospel must include the lostness of man and God's demands. If we leave this out, we are not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rather, we are dead in our sins, mumbling the gospel of Grind Rapids. The former brings deliverance and delight to our souls, and the latter brings deception and damnation. Paul lays out their guilt and their need to respond with faith in Jesus Christ. And look what happens. Look what happens. Felix gets frightened. How about you? 
Do you feel the convicting God? Because he loves you and he pursues you and he's jealous for you. Knocking on your careless, apathetic heart. Do you want to just push it away? Are you frightened? Am I? I bet he was frightened. Felix looks at his life and his third wife and he sees everything about them as the opposite of what Paul calls for in faith in Jesus Christ. My friends, how does your life and heart look right now? Paul says to them, and he says to you and me right now, one cannot claim Jesus and look like they did before they knew him. One cannot claim Jesus and look the same as the world that hates him. This is not the discussion that Felix and his 19-year-old trophy wife were looking to have. Paul talks about morality. He talks about self-control. He talks about righteousness. He talks about pending judgment. There was a day when the church believed these things. Now we claim Christ and morality is a whim. Self-control is a hurdle. Righteousness doesn't even exist. And when's the last time we talked about hell? And as Felix sits next to his third wife, he stole from another man while they were engaged in immorality and are now using their power couple status to change the things, to chase the things of the world rather than God, they must respond to what they just heard. Because when the gospel is presented and placed before our lives, whether or not you grew up in the church, whether or not you asked Jesus for fire insurance, whether or not your parents are saved or you know the whole story of the gospel, when the gospel is presented and placed before our lives, a decision is required. Just like there's one required right now, right here. Will Felix repent and give his heart and mind and life to Christ? Or will he do what countless of us are doing right now as we speak? Oh, if the, the veil of eternity could be opened, you could hear us doing it. Will he do what countless of us do right now? Here it is. Make excuses and postpone. Just push it away. After all, postponement's not the same as rejection, right? Let me tell you something. It is potentially more damning. Felix decides to avoid the decision. May I ask you a question? How many times have you postponed giving your heart to God, convincing yourself you invited him to live there? And he says this, go away for now. And when it's a better time, I will come get you. Many of us right now are doing the exact same thing. Right now. You know it. You invited the Lord to speak to your heart this morning. The Holy Spirit is convicting and revealing to our hearts that the gospel of Grand Rapids changes nothing. And that it is not 
the gospel of Jesus Christ that, according to this text and the entire word of God, changes everything, what will we do? We often do the same thing as Felix. Maybe later. This is important. Because there is an eternal danger in postponement in that every time you postpone and delay the conviction of God in our lives, our spiritual compass loses some of its magnetism. You know this to be true. I know you know this because I know this in my life. When God convicts, when God chases, when God calls on you to repent and come to him, that is the time to respond. Because here in this text is a biblical and observable reality you know is true in your own heart. And that reality is this. Truth that is not acted on hardens the heart, making it more and more difficult to respond until you no longer can. It's just white noise. It's just religious gobbledygook that we claim we believe. This is why I believe, Matt. This is why I believe one of the most difficult hearts to reach with the gospel is a heart that has sat in a pew its entire life, never receiving it. My friends, is Jesus convicting you right now? Respond, for there is no promise that he will convict you tomorrow. Oh, is it any wonder why Paul will later proclaim, Behold, now is the time, today is the day of salvation. For if we postpone the convicting call of God in our lives, it will. And I promise you, and it is likely that you already see this, it will, over time, make the gospel nothing more than a vehicle to have a better life. That's what it did for Felix. We're almost done. That's what it did for Felix. We never read of him fearing again. We never read of him being convicting again. In fact, not only is he not frightened anymore, not only is he not convicted anymore because he's postponed it, and for every postponement, we get calloused, and we continue to get calloused until you can no longer feel it anymore. Hebrews chapter 10 but he transitions his fear and his conviction into personal advancement. Can I ask you a question? Does the church ever claim the name of Jesus Christ in order to just have a better life? Talk to me. We never read of him fearing again, only trying to use the gospel as a means to enhance his life. Look at it, it says right here, hoping that the money would be given to him by Paul, a bribe. Therefore, he would talk to him quite often, hoping to advance his financial situation. What do you hope to get from the gospel? Fire insurance? Ticket out of hell? My friends, a ticket out of hell with no treasure in Christ is void. It doesn't exist. 
What do you hope to get from the gospel? If it's anything other than Jesus, we've missed the whole point and we remain lost in our religious, unchanged life. Oh, it will be Jesus that makes it heaven for me. Amen? It's him. It's why I wake up in the morning, I walk during the day and you go to bed at night. It's for him. And I cannot let this moment pass because the text demands it. To do anything else would be, would be an absolute travesty to this text. Now, some of you may be new here and says, does he always yell and scream like this? Yes, I do. But sometimes it's about positive things. Amen, church? You can rest in your mess. God's got it. God can do, we know that God does all things for good to those who know love and are called according to his purpose. Wow! But that's not this text. And the sermon must be the meaning of the text. Do you want God's word or do you want platitudes? So we can't let this go. Normally this is where the music would come in. But I want to talk to your brain. I want to talk to your reason. I want you to think. Don't postpone. Don't push away. Many of you are feeling conviction right now. I know that because the Holy Spirit exists. And he's not dormant. Don't postpone. Listen to my voice. Don't listen to the counselor in your head. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to his word. Do not postpone. For I could preach this exact same message again tomorrow, word for word, and you will feel nothing. Respond today. God owes you no offer tomorrow. And since this passage is about offering the gospel to unchanged lives, That is what we will do today because the meaning of the text is the message of the service. And you may say, Pastor, right now I'm looking at my life, religious as it may be, but as I look at my life, church is nothing to me. Jesus is my occasional rabbit's foot. His word is dry, dusty, and boring. All I could care less, and my commitment to him is laughable. I am immoral in my heart, and I am apathetic to the things of Christ. And while I remember asking Jesus into my heart, I know without a shadow of a doubt right now, I have never given him my heart. Evidence to the passion I have for myself and my absolute apathy for him. And I know right now in my mind and in my heart, I am a religious person and it's crushing it's crushing today is the day to respond today is the day to repent today is the day to confess and place your faith in him because truth is asking Jesus into your heart last time didn't do a single thing It's time to give your heart to Jesus. 
to have your life progressively more and more, not in perfection, but more and more be transformed into his, not whitewashed. Aren't you sick of being whitewashed? It's, it's too much work. And you say, Pastor, I don't want to waste this conviction. I want to trade the gospel of Grand Rapids for the gospel of Jesus Christ and know the joy of true life-transforming salvation. Speaking to your mind right now. I have about six very humble and godly people waiting to pray with you right now. With a raise of a hand. No bowing your heads and emotional pleas. They don't last. I want to make sure that I belong to Jesus Christ and I want His life-transforming power in my life because being whitewashed is a waste of my time. If you feel the call of God in your life right now, slip your hand up. My sister, my sister, I want you to head back to the back of the church and Carmen Ellis, are you in here? You meet with her. You guys go right now. I feel the call of God in my life and I want to trade in the gospel of Grand Rapids for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right now, raise your hand. Father in heaven, your word is precious. It's powerful. Draw us to you. Thank you for these people. They belong to you. They are not mine. Dismiss us with your blessing. Continue to chase us, Lord. And it's in your son's precious and holy name. A name above all others' names. A name by which only salvation is found. love you. Amen. I love you guys. Tonight we'll dig deeper into this text. I will be yelling a lot less. You are dismissed.